Well, Happy New Year, and as the kids head off to uh, Sunday school, um, I, I want to just say Happy New Year, and we are starting a new series. This, will, this series will take us about three weeks. Um, we're calling it Where Are We Going? And it's kind of around this idea of, of a road trip, right? As, as we start a new year, we're kind of setting off on a new journey together as a church. Um, and and it, it brought to mind this idea of road trips. And the most important thing to know in a road trip is where you're going, right? I mean, you don't wanna be invited into somebody else's road trip and then find out, you know, you packed your swimming suit and you packed your flip flops and then, you know, you're going to like the mountains or something. You wanna know where are we going? But along with that, you kind of wanna know how are we getting there? What is our mode of transportation? Uh, this weekend, we had kind of a tumultuous transportation weekend. We were up north visiting my wife's uh, mother. My mother-in-law lives up in Roseau. It's about six hours north of here. Um, we were coming back and we had her with us in the van. So we had seven people in a van whose capacity is seven people. And um, about Monticello, we started having some issues with the van where it was lurching and shuddering as it was shifting gears. And uh, we ended up having to buy a new van this weekend, which was not on our to-do list, um, was not something we were planning on. Um, but the mode of transportation is significant. And now for us, we have a new one that might make you more interested in riding with us because I can more likely promise that it won't break down on the next road trip. Um, but that mode of transportation is significant. If you decide, hey, I wanna go with you, you're going to the beach, you're going to the mountains, you're going to wherever, and you find out that we're walking there or we're biking there or we're taking the train or the Greyhound or an airplane or the new van, all of that can influence, am, am, I, am I going with this group of people? Am I traveling with them? And so we should be asking not only the question of where are we going, but how are we going? And that's not a new question for us to be asking as a church, as a congregation. That's something that all throughout church history, we see them constantly asking this question of where, where are we going and how are we getting there? And we just celebrated Christmas and Advent where Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was born, took on human flesh. And, and as we leave Advent, we'll continue to follow the story of Jesus through the calendar year and watch him grow and, and start his ministry, ultimately culminating with Good Friday and Easter with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and shortly after his death and resurrection, he ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the early church turns around and looks at each other and goes, well, now what? And, and to the point where they're standing there staring, the disciples are staring at Jesus as he goes up into the clouds and the angels show up and they say, what are you doing? Why are you staring into the sky, the same Jesus you watched will return. And there's kind of this implied, so get back to work. Get moving, go do something. Don't just stand here staring at the sky all day. And so they had to ask the question, like what? And they're gonna face, moving forward, these challenges. The early church is gonna face some challenges of persecution. They're gonna face challenges of internal conversation and pressures and dialogue. They're gonna face famine and hardship, physical, emotional, all of these things. And constantly, they're gonna to have to be evaluating what are we doing, why, where are we going, and how are we getting there? And even the early church, it's not new to them. It's, it's something that happened to Israel when they departed Egypt and it happened to uh, Adam and Eve when they departed the garden. This constant pursuit of God 
It's so easy to be distracted from what our goal is, what our vision, what our mission is as a church. It's so easy to be distracted and to be pulled away into these secondary things. And so this morning, as we ask the question, where are we going for the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at kind of what makes us unique not only as Christians, as followers of Jesus, but specifically looking at our church history and our denomination, the Free Church, the Evangelical Free Church of America, and what, what guiding message does that give us and how does that help us clarify where we're going and why? And I don't do that to try and say, you know, we're the best or you know, we're better than this one. I know there's people who have roots and history and other denominations, and we as believers, I hope you hear through this message, should be unified around bigger things than denominations. We should be unified around who Jesus Christ is, and that's, that's ultimately where we are going. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about this idea of majoring on the majors. There are some major things that we should remind ourselves to keep them major. And so we're gonna look at Acts chapter two and the early church, and we're gonna see the things that, that, that they kept major, and hopefully use those as to ask ourselves the same questions. What are we doing here? How are we keeping the majors the majors and how are we not letting the minors be the minors or minors be majors? We're not getting distracted and taking these secondary things and following them and making them our priority. How do we keep our focus on the majors? And we have a lot of scripture that I'm gonna be looking at this morning. And I would encourage you, oftentimes if, if you've been here for the last few weeks as, as we've been starting, I've been asking people to, to follow along, and I don't care if that's in a, in a physical Bible or if you have it on a device, your phone or, or an iPad or something like that. We want you in the scripture with us because we want you, I want you as a church to be reading the scriptures with us. And so there's gonna be a lot of them and it's gonna be hard maybe at times to keep up. I would encourage you on your way out, we have these study guides. I, I did my best and, and really Cher did it, so let's be honest, I didn't do it. Um, but we do our best to get all of the passages on here so that you can go back and they were in your email. And if you don't get those and you want to get those emails, talk to us. We'd love to make sure you get those. So you can go back and check them and check my work. Make sure, you know, read them in context. Read the whole thing. We don't have time every time, but my goal is that you as, as believers are in God's word and you are verifying these things that are being said. And so this idea of making the major things major and leaving the minor things as minor is summed up in the idea that we as a church will hold to the belief, and this is taken right from the free church, by the way, that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is our distinctive. That is what we as a church want to be about. We want to be a place where in the essentials, we are unified. We are unified. And in the non-essentials, we have a lot of charity, a lot of grace, a lot of willingness to talk and listen and dialogue and, and disagree. Because in all things, we are unified around Jesus Christ. And so this, this morning, I would encourage you, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and to see how how God's word can guide us as a church to choose to majors on the majors. And so our guiding text this morning is Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this passage this morning um, from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. And as we look at this passage as a church, I think there are three things that we can see they were devoted to. Because when it says they were devoted to and it says the apostles' teaching, the punctuation there implies that's not the only thing they were devoted to. And so we're going to look at all three things. They were devoted to, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I think all three of those give us three questions that we should be asking ourselves. And along with those three majors... I think there's an implied minor that tends to distract. A thing that if we lose our focus and stop majoring on that major, we find that the minor becomes the major. And we can find ourselves sidetracked. And we can find ourselves distracted. And so our major number one, the first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it should cause us to ask this question, what are we teaching? What are we as a church teaching? And I'm talking about myself as the pastor who's going to be preaching a lot, but I'm also talking about those who are leading worship. I'm talking about those who are leading a Sunday school or a small group. I'm talking about as a family, when you're at home, what are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your family? What are we teaching as a church? And the passage says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we, ask to, so we have to ask ourselves, what were they teaching? If they're to be our guide, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, we should be asking, well, what were they teaching? And then we can compare what we are teaching and see if we're lined up or if we're off. And just a few verses earlier, we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39, what they were teaching. And so this is Peter standing right after Pentecost, standing in front of the crowd, and he says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And we see from this, they were primarily focused on the gospel. Repent and be baptized is the core of their message. The core of their message is not show up, align with our beliefs, act how we act, model what we, and then maybe we'll talk about it. Their message, their core message was repent and be baptized. And they said that not as arrogant people standing up there saying, I'm perfect, you're not, repent and be baptized. They stood up, we'll see Peter later on in Acts get in, get in conversation with Paul where Paul will say, hey Peter, you're off. You've gotten distracted. You've made a minor the major, and you need to fix that. So they're not coming in this arrogant spot saying, hey, you all have the problems. They're standing up there as, as people who needed the gospel themselves saying, repent and be baptized. They were primarily focused on the gospel, and they were preaching exactly what Jesus had showed them. As apostles, they had walked with, with Jesus for three years. They had heard him preach. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' message was the same. Repent. Repent. We, it, the gospel starts with the understanding that we have something worth repenting of. We all have something worth repenting of. None of us in here is perfect. 
myself included, we are not perfect. And they were teaching the same thing that Paul would later preach in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The message stays the same. From Jesus to the disciples to the apostles to Paul in the early church, the message stayed the same. We all as people have sinned and erred and fallen away from God and we cannot fix that out of our, on our own. We need a savior and we need to repent of our sin and we need that savior. So we need to confess with our mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Their primary focus was on sharing the good news about Jesus. And we read the same thing in Corinthians. I said there'd be a lot of verses. First Corinthians two, one and two. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's Paul. Paul who wrote so many books in the New Testament that we base so much of our doctrine on. And he starts with, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our major. That is the major of our majors. Who is Jesus? Jesus will turn to his disciples in his ministry and he'll look at them and he'll say, who do, who do people say that I am? And they'll list, oh, some think you're a, you're a prophet, some a wise man, some say the Messiah. And he goes, but what about you? And he asks them what I like to call the great question. Who do you say that I am? And we all have to answer that either intentionally or unintentionally, we will answer it. Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus our Messiah? Do we resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? What is our major? That's our major. That is our major. That is the unifying thing that brings us together. He was, Paul was focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. We are to be about the gospel. This is a major, this is the non-negotiable. There are other doctrines that are important that we are willing to defend, but this, this is non-negotiable. Our statement of faith puts it this way. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the major. Now this wasn't the only teaching. Paul, obviously, I just mentioned, he wrote Romans, he wrote Corinthians, all these books in the New Testament that we build a lot of doctrine out of. It's not their only teaching, but it was their focus, it was their core, it was their major. For us in the free church, we believe the church is made up of believers, all believers, but believers only. This is the core doctrine that guides that. As we, met, as we uh, welcomed new members in today, this is the core. Do you profess faith in Jesus Christ? If so, welcome. We are glad you are here. That is the core of our faith. You want in? That's it. Are there other doctrines that we hold to that we will defend? Absolutely. Are there other majors? Sure. This is the core. This is the core. So our guide marker for the gospel is scripture. 
Why we make that the core is scripture. Scripture is our guiding light. Scripture is the thing that keeps us focused on that major. That as we look at what are we teaching, the reason I listed so many passages is we want to know it is, it is based in God's word. That's what the, the apostles were doing. If you read the New Testament, and I would encourage you as you're reading your New Testament to look at the footnotes. Footnotes are important. Look at how many times Paul and Peter and, and all the apostles in their teaching reference the Old Testament. That was their Bible, that was their scripture. They were showing, they were grounded in scripture. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little later in a couple of weeks when we talk about the significance of silence. But scripture was their guiding light and it needs to be ours as well, the authority of scripture. And it is scripture itself which reminds us the counterpart to this idea of majoring on the majors, the danger of letting the minor, because what is the minor? The minor is getting so focused on the nuance of doctrine that we forget the goal. We get so focused on being right that we forget the purpose. Paul will write in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone, not just those that you agree with, not just those that hold to um, your your view of the end times, not just everyone who holds to your view of communion or your view of baptism or your view of, you know, which translation of the Bible we should use, whether you should use a pulpit or a music stand. That's not what it says. It says everyone. And we also have Paul's warning to Titus in Titus 3.9 but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. To quarrel about this is unprofitable and useless. Why? Because it distracts us from what we should be doing. We can sit here and debate and argue and we should, to some level, as believers, work together on doctrine. Absolutely, 100%. We should not let it distract us from what we are supposed to be about, and that is sharing the gospel with those out there who don't know it. That is number one. And if we find ourselves so tied up in quarrels and disputes and endless genealogies that we forget to share with our friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates and family members the good news about Jesus, then we are doing something useless. Does this mean we do not take doctrine seriously? No. Does this mean we cannot disagree and need to just go with the flow? Just agree to disagree and never talk about it again? No. And actually, I I would argue it makes us easier to engage in these conversations. And I, again, want to take the Free Church Statement of Faith and one of their um, distinctives and share that. We have deep convictions based on the authority of God's word, but we do not draw battle lines over minor points nor do we make minor issues of doctrine a test of fellowship in the local church. That is what we're about. Can we disagree? Absolutely. Should we talk about it? 100%. Do we let it divide this congregation or keep us from the work of sharing the gospel with those who don't? No, we don't. I know there are people in this room who disagree with me on, on theological issues. They are all secondary. And I'm 100% okay with that. And I would love to have that conversation with you, but we will not let it divide us. We can disagree. And we do not split over this. We can be in community. Which naturally leads us to the second thing, community. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to the breaking of bread, which the breaking of bread is more than communion, which we'll do later. The breaking of bread is community in their context, which should be asking us the question, how are we living? They were not just devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were not just devoted to head knowledge. They were also devoted to living it out together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, yes, and to the breaking of bread, to being together, to being in each other's lives. And we see the fruit of that in Acts 2, 44 through 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Community is more than being Facebook friends. Community is more than being in the same room together one day a week. Community is more than walking into the lobby on a Sunday morning and having the, the same conversation for 100 weeks in a row that you have. How are you? Great. How are you? Fine. And that's the level we go to. Or busy. That's another favorite answer. How are you? Busy. Oh, yeah, busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we don't actually engage in conversation. No, there's an appropriate time to do that, you know, five minutes late for the worship service, maybe is not the time to unpack all of your laundry. But we need to be in that community relationship with somebody. They were generous with each other and with their community. They shared with each other physically and spiritually and emotionally. They were in each other's lives. They knew what was going on. But authentic community is hard. To be in that level is hard. I can't be in that level with everybody. We need each other, but you, you, ha- you can't be that way with 300 people, but we need to be in community with somebody. But it's hard and it takes work and it's so much easier to check the box. It's so much easier to show up and do religion than it is to show up and be in relationship with each other as we pursue Jesus. Doing is so much easier. I can check the box. I read... Uh, I was really bad at doing a morning quiet time and getting in God's word. I was really bad, really inconsistent. Until I found this little app that rewards me if I did it every day. And then all of a sudden, that reward doesn't matter as much for me anymore as being in God's word. But I needed that little checkbox. We, we do really well when we have checkboxes. And there's an appropriate spot for that. That's okay. If you need the checkbox to get in God's word, please do the checkbox. Don't let it stay there. Church can't just be a checkbox. And we see throughout history, through the church, through the early church, through the, through, um, through the, the growth of the church in history, and all the way back into the Old Testament, we see that it's so easy to become a task. And we can replace Religion with a ceremony, and the ceremony becomes a placebo that makes us feel better. We can just do communion. We can show up at church. We can nod along with the sermon. We can greet each other and raise our hands and really accomplish nothing. In the Old Testament, this was as slippery of a slope for them as it was, as it still is for us. And Jeremiah 7 is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. In Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah is standing out in front of the temple, and it's called his temple sermon. And I would encourage you as I read it to put yourself back in your car or as, you know, however you got here, if you walked here, 
however you got here, put yourself back in the parking lot and imagine hearing somebody standing at the front door to the church as you walk in saying these words to you and just how confrontational and uncomfortable that would be. Jeremiah 7, 1 through 12. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, we are delivered? Safe to do these detestable things only to continue doing all these abominable deeds would be another way to say that. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And see the intensity that Jeremiah has on how important it is that our knowledge and our actions are unified. We can't just believe the right things, we need to do it. And Jeremiah says, are you gonna trust in deceptive words? At that time, they were saying, as they were watching the threat from outside come and threaten to take their land, and they were going, but we have the temple. Even though we're not following God, God won't let anything happen to Israel because of the temple. This is the temple of the Lord. We're safe. We can do whatever we want. And I've heard people take the same words of Paul and use the same argument. We can do whatever we want. Grace. We have grace. We can do whatever we want. And Paul says, shall we keep on sinning so that grace abounds even more? No. We are called to live out what we believe. Yes, there's grace. Yes, everything you do is covered by the grace of Jesus Christ, but we are to pursue a life that matches our belief, a consistent life. So they checked in at church. They were out there living lives dominated by their true beliefs. To steal, to murder, and remember Jesus talks about murder being even saying hurtful words to somebody. Committing adultery in actuality and with your eyes, again, according to Jesus. Perjury, to lie, maybe even attacking others online. And to burn incense to Baal, or in other words, to prioritize anything more than God. And I'll let you fill in the blank on the anything. So how about us? How are we doing as a church community? How are we living? Are we living out our faith? Are you in community with somebody on a regular basis? Do you have accountability with somebody outside of yourself? Are you in God's word regularly with somebody else? Are they challenging you and are you challenging them? Are you using your gifts and resources? Is your life in line with God's word? Or are we closer to the people of Jeremiah's time? Checking the box. I went to church, I'm good. I took communion. And if I am honest with you, there are some days in my life 
that I really feel like my life aligns with what the gospel teaches. I really feel like I'm an apostle. There are times where I read scripture and I look at the apostles, the disciples with Jesus and the questions they ask and I go, you idiots, <laughs> obviously. But if I'm also honest with you, there are times where I would be lucky to be like one of those disciples because the things that I'm doing and the way I'm living out my life are not consistent. And I need to remind myself regularly to pull back to what is my major and is my life, am I really living it out? And Jesus' words in Matthew 23, verse 23 are a great reminder for us. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You're checking in, you're doing all the right stuff. You've got all the tasks done, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Consistency. Which naturally should lead us to our third major issue that we see in the early church, that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Which should ask us, force us to ask the question, who are we following? Who are we following? I uh, have the opportunity to be the chaplain at the Ridgedale YMCA. And one of the things we do at the Ridgedale YMCA, one of the chaplain's responsibilities, is these things called spiritual vitamins. And the spiritual vitamins, and I can't take any credit, credit for them, Bjorn Dixon, who's a pastor in Elk River, he's the one who came up with them. Uh, I just copied them and put them in Ridgedale. But there's little slips of paper, 20 of them, 20 different statements on slips of paper, 10 of which are Bible verses around a theme each month, and 10 of which are quotes, quotes by Christian thinkers, authors, and people. And, and so we take these 20 different things, 10 of these and 10 of these, and we go through about 800 slips of paper a month. People just come in and take one. They get the word of God or they get a, a, a wise saying, something that they can apply on like a spiritual vitamin. And, and when I started doing that, I asked Bjorn, I said, why did you, how did you pick these quotes? You know, because I was like going through and like trying to make sure they were all on par and all good and all this. How did you pick those? He goes, well, we found Christian authors, speakers, and other people, and we made sure they were all dead. And I, I, why? Why did you make sure they were all dead? He goes, because they can't come back and embarrass us. They can't come back and do something or say something that all of a sudden calls into question the words they spoke and calls into question the gospel. And I thought that's really smart because I think we've all experienced that where we've followed somebody earthly only to have them disappoint us through something they said or something they did. And all of a sudden they, especially in today's viral world, it can get out there so easily and it can call into question everything else they've ever done. And so we should be asking, who are we following? Whose words are we taking in? And I, and I don't think you should only listen to dead people, um, but I do think we should be cautious about how much priority we give to earthly people that we follow. Don't follow earthly people more than you follow Jesus. They devoted themselves to prayer, to following Jesus, and so should we. Prayer is a part of who we are, and it should be buried deep in our DNA. And so look at our passage from Acts 2, and we see the fruit of their prayer. Acts 2, 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their prayer had fruit. And the fruit was worship. Their focus on prayer brought about the favor of the community, not the political favor, not the social favor, the favor of the people they were caring for because their prayer had fruit and their prayer was more than the, what we do now of I'll pray for you. Their prayer had fruit, they lived it out, they acted on their prayer, they were following Jesus in their prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have been asking as an American church for years for revival, this is the root of revival. Revival comes through prayer. We need to be following Jesus first and foremost, and we do that in prayer. Later, the early church will have challenges in following people instead of God. And Paul will not hold back when he calls it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So let me ask you, who are you following? Learn from others, yes, but follow Christ. Follow him alone. Let him be your guiding light so that when somebody else, and maybe someday that will be me, I pray to God it's not. When that person says or does something that embarrasses the faith, we don't have our foundation shook because we followed the wrong person. Because our foundation is on following God. And our foundation is on that relationship. And it allows us to remind ourselves what is major and what is minor. And we can keep our focus where it belongs. We can keep our focus on the gospel and on following Jesus. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate the unity that we as a church should have as followers of Jesus Christ than communion. And so we're gonna move into a time of communion now and I'm gonna invite the servers to come forward as we get ready to take communion. And let us celebrate this morning our unity as a body. Let us celebrate that what unifies us, what pulls us together as a body is Jesus Christ, him crucified. And as we take communion, we celebrate his death and his resurrection and remind ourselves who we follow. This should be what unifies us, so let it. This should be what reminds us that we follow Christ and not any earthly power. This is what brings us together. And one last thing, our communion table is open to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And so whether this is your first time here or if you've been here your entire life, feel free to join us this morning if you follow Jesus. If, however, you are not sure where you stand with Jesus Christ or are not in a spot where you feel ready this morning, please let the elements pass. There is no judgment. You are welcome here, but communion is for believers only and all believers. 
So if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, please partake with us this morning. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father God, we thank you for your death on the cross. We thank you for your body, which was broken for us. And so, Lord, help us. God, help us to be unified around who you are. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Lord God, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the blood of your death that washes away our sins. Though our sins are like scarlet, it makes us white as snow. Amen. As we end this morning, I want to end with 2 Corinthians chapter 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.